if you will, to John chapter 18. John 18, and for those of you who have not been with us, I'll tell you what's happening. We are in the uh, first point of one sermon. We didn't even finish one point last week. We're in the first point of a sermon. We just finished the first part of that point. Now we're moving toward the second half of our first point. Uh, and, and so for as strange as that might sound, well, Lord willing, it will all tie together and make sense. We are going to pick up, we're going to read from verse 28 all the way through chapter 19 and verse 13. We'll give, we'll give a little recap as we go. So, John chapter 18 and verse 28. Then... They led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves, and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the words of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. 
So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We live in tension, don't we? We live in the already. Christ has come. And we live in the not yet. Christ has not come in the fullness of His reign. There's still sin. Not every knee bows. Not every tongue yet confesses. We live in attention. Yes, Christ is reigning as King over all. But not all his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet yet. And so we must live in that tension as those who call on the name of Christ. We must live in that tension before a watching world. We live in that tension because we know as believers, as we balance this, of this tension, we have dual citizenship. Yes, we live in the United States of America. Yes, we live in Texas. Yes, we are citizens here. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. That city whose builder and maker is God. That city that we long for to see in its fullness. So we have to live in that dual citizenship. And as we do, we have to remember a couple of things. 
Now, the kingdoms of this world, well, are affected by spiritual means. They may not think they are. They may not understand that their kings, their rulers, their dictators, whoever is over them, is set up not by a coup of the people, not by an overthrow, but by God. He puts kings in place. And so we live in that sort of duality. The kingdoms of this world live and they're affected by spiritual means, but, but they also demand our action, right? As we live in submission to the Word of God. Our highest allegiance, then, is not our comfort, not our honor, not our power in this life. That was actually the position that we began to see last week as we looked at the kingdoms of this world. The, the perversion of the kingdom of Christ by the Pharisees. They had taken God's kingdom, that which had been types and shadows, but God had still established it for His people in that time, and they had perverted it, hadn't they? They had made it about power here and now. They had made it about their preference here and now. They had made it about themselves and not about the King of kings. And so then we understand that we live as citizens of this life, And in this place. And so we do our best to be good citizens here. We have every right to appeal to governments and and governors. You see the Apostle Paul does it, doesn't he? They're they're going to let him free. But he says, I appeal to Caesar. What happens? Off he goes. On his way to Rome. He does it by virtue of his right of citizenship of Rome. We have those rights and privileges. But we have a higher Allegiance. We have a higher civility. We ought to be the best citizens there are. Because we belong to the kingdom of Christ. And so we live, well, seeing the kingdoms of the world affected by the spiritual. And so we need to understand that as we live in this kingdom, that are these kingdoms, that the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by Well, material things. The the kingdoms of this earth are affected by spiritual. But the reverse is not true. The kingdom of Christ is a spiritual kingdom. One which is not, well, it's not held by uh, borders or by anything that might restrict kingdoms of this earth. It is not held by time constraints. It is eternal. It is not held by, well, power. Christ can fail every kingdom with a word. And so we live in the kingdom of God that advances not by physical things, war and taking up sword, but by spiritual means, war and taking up sword. What do I mean? By the word of God going forward. Not by guns and planes. The kingdom of Christ goes forward through his word. And so as we come to this trial of Jesus. We began last week to take a look at the kingdoms of this world. As they are set in opposition to the kingdom of Christ. 
And as we looked at that, we said that there was a trial of the perversion of his kingdom, right? Those Pharisees made a mockery of what God's kingdom on earth was to look like. They perverted those types and shadows and made them only substantial, made them only outright like the kingdoms of this world. And that was a perversion. And so they tried Jesus. And they tried Him before daybreak and they had roused the entire city. And they come early before Pilate. And they were overly zealous in trying to be like the kingdoms of this world. But now we come to Christ and He is, well, He's being tried before the kingdoms of this world. This is a trial before the earthly kingdom. And this is a legitimate and proper kingdom. Last week, we looked at an illegitimate kingdom, that perversion of Christ's kingdom. This week, we're looking at a legitimate kingdom. God is the one who sets governing authorities over us. Romans 13 tells us they are ordained by His power for His purposes, and they are even called ministers of God. And so God has set His governments Over us, and now Jesus is brought wrongly before a right authority, which then acts wrongly. So it's a legitimate and proper authority that acts illegitimately and wrongly. And that's the reason we don't set our hope in princes, we don't set our hope in political parties, we don't set our hope in men, because they will fail you. And so this trial before this earthly kingdom. Chapter 18 and verse 29. Or 28. They led him from Caiaphas into the praetorium. That is the governor's house. Right? That's where everyone who would reign. See, uh, yeah, uh, Pilate would reign from uh, 29 to 37 AD. He lived there. And the next one in. Live there in the praetorium. So they bring him to the praetorium because they're handing him over to proper lawful authority in an illegitimate trial, in an illegitimate way, an illegitimate conclusion that they had come to. And so they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but not they might eat the Passover. Now here you see the danger of legalism, but we're not going to touch that yet. And so Christ is brought in for trial. He was already tried by those those who would pervert his kingdom. Now he's being tried by those who are legitimate in authority over him, but it's not the kingdom of his redemption. It's the kingdom that is common to all men. You see, those who are in the covenant community and those who are not in the covenant community are affected by those here. This man, Pilate. And Pilate, well, was the governor, like I said, from 29 to 37-ish. He was morally weak. You see how easily he swayed. He doesn't want to offend Caesar. He lets people who who come in, they they sway him. You're no friend of Caesar. Well, I don't want that getting back. Kill him. Right? He's morally weak. He was, he was ruthless. He, he hated the Jews. And yet he, he is given this rule by God. And as he comes up to trial, you'll notice he does 
what is right as a judge. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And now it it starts going downhill. He asks the question and from here, it's just downhill. You put no hope in him to do right. He's acting with accord with the law, even as those who bring Jesus to him are acting against God's law. He acts in accord with the law. He's legitimate doing work as a judge. He's bearing the sword, even if it's an illegitimate claim against Christ. And so he's doing what a judge is supposed to do in order to make a rule. He asks for evidence. He asks what must be done. And here again, the danger of legalism. They, they, would, they would take someone who had not broken the law, but who was the perfect fulfillment of God's law, and well, they, would, they would want to kill him. Because he broke their traditions, not God's law, their system of tradition set up over and against the law, even though they said it was fulfilling it. Christ had perfectly loved his neighbor and perfectly loved God. And, and he was not guilty of breaking any law. And Pilate knows it, doesn't he? He, he asks them, they say, well, if this man weren't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. And Pilate says, all right, then. Take them yourselves and judge according to your law. Because they're calling for death. As a matter of fact, they actually feared men more than God. If they feared God as they ought to have, Jesus ought to have been stoned, not crucified. They should have dragged him out of the city and stoned him. The moment they thought he was a blasphemer, but they knew he wasn't, they just didn't like him. Pilate knows he's not, he's just a coward. And so he asks, and they volley back and forth. And so it is, well, it's this that gets Christ killed. And so what do we know about legitimate governments that, well, sadly, are used illegitimately? Well, we know that they're easily corrupted, right? The kingdoms of this world are easily corrupted. Jesus testifies before Pilate. And Pilate says to him, knowing it in his heart of hearts, why else would he keep going back? Why else would he keep sensing this? He knows deep down that this is the hope of the world. And yet he replies, what is truth? And he goes out and he finds no guilt in him. He says it. He declares it before them. And yet they say, and they cower him. And so he says, who do you want me to release to you? And he releases Barabbas and crucifies Jesus. This is why you don't put hope in men. This is why you don't put moments of hope in the kingdoms of this world to solve your problems. You don't trust in them. Oh, yes, yes, we pray and we work. And we labor for God to make changes. We labor and to see change in the kingdoms of this world. Something we don't like. Do something about it. You have that right. We live, thank God, in this country where we're free to seek those changes. But we don't put our hope in those changes because earthly temporal changes 
can be corrupted. And so we labor, we look for change. But we trust God to do it. But the kingdoms of this world, not only, not only are they easily corrupted, they are blind to the kingdom of Christ. We, we talked about this in Sunday school also. That we operate in those two realms. That's why we have that citizenship there. There is that which is spiritual that we do not see. We are like Elisha's servant. All around us, God is at work. And there are ministers of a flaming fire all about. And we do not see it. There's a spiritual realm. We, we live in that tension. We don't see it, but the kingdoms of this world don't see it, nor do they believe it. We don't see it, but we walk by faith. And so then they are blinded to it so that everything that they do, well, most often is plotting in vain. We sang Psalm 2. The heathens rage and the kings of this earth plot in vain because they want to cast off restraint from God. They want to build their own kingdom because they have no care for His. That's the way it works in this world. And so then they are blind to it. You get that. Pilate says to him, what is truth? He, he has Jesus standing right before him. The Messiah, the Son of God and the Son of Man right in his eyesight. He doesn't recognize him. He does what the world does. He closes his eyes and he stops up his ears even though he's heard truth itself speak to him. And he says, what is truth? They're blind. You also see it in, in chapter 19 and verse 12. Pilate makes efforts to release him. And, and they cry out saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. And everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate knows that he has a king in front of him. Jesus doesn't say you ask. He says you say. He knows that it's not just rhetorical vice. So, so you are a king then. Where are you from? He knows there's a king there. But he's blinded to everything Jesus says. So that when he tells him my kingdom's not of this world. Well that's over his head. And so they're blind to the kingdom of Christ. They're dead in sight. They have no understanding. No comprehension of the heavenly city. Of that heavenly Jerusalem. Of the kingdom of Christ. And so Christ is here on trial before a kingdom, a right kingdom of this world. And as He speaks, He tells us about His kingdom, doesn't He? What is His kingdom like? Well, the kingdom of Christ breaks through into this present age through Christ's Word and Spirit and through the ministry of of this church and as we are through the church and as we look at it we're actually going to take it in reverse order what Christ says about his kingdom what does he say to Pilate well he says that all things that happen happen for his 
kingdom. Look at verse 31. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus. Everything that happens in this world happens for Christ's kingdom. The world is here by God's grace. There are people who are receiving His sunshine. There are people who are receiving His warmth. There are people who are receiving His food, His clothing, His shelter, His health, His strength, His breath in their lungs, all for the church, for His kingdom that Christ might be exalted. Everything that happens, no matter what it is, is given by God's decree for our good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ's kingdom is over all and that no matter what it looks like to our eyes, no matter what it sounds like to our ears, as we look out, we don't look as those who have only earthly eyes. We look out. And we see what God is doing by His Word and Spirit. He reigns in this world. All things are happening for His kingdom. And even as Jesus submits Himself to the kingdom of this world to be crucified, to be put to death, scourged and beaten and mocked, It looks like the kingdoms of this world are right. But they're all for His purpose. To signify by what kind of death He was about to die. All that happens is happening by His decree for His church. And then you get it again in chapter 19 and verse 11. Don't you? Jesus answered Pilate. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me has the greater sin. And you also know that he said, for this purpose, the Son of Man came. Christ has been handed over because his kingdom is not of that realm. But he's using that realm to accomplish his purpose. For his kingdom. And so then as we look around. As we take stock of this earth. As we take stock of. Well the the terrible sufferings. Of our brothers and sisters in China. As we take stock of the terrible sufferings. Of those of our brothers and sisters. In the Middle East. As we see civil war about to break out. In Venezuela. Where our brothers and sisters are, are crying out. Saying this is happening. This is hurting. You need to understand. That God is in control. That His kingdom will not be overthrown. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ will go forward as that conquering king. And so all of what is occurring is only occurring at the decree of the true king. So that at every blow that they gave. At every spit upon his face, at every millimeter and, and centimeter that the crown of thorns sinks in, at every tearing of the flesh that happens, Christ has decreed it 
And he does it for the good of his kingdom. All of it is by his kingly authority and for his kingdom. And Jesus allows what happens in the earthly kingdom to accomplish purposes of his higher and better kingdom. And then he says something else. Something which you know, something which resonates, something which you need to think on and meditate on and remember and dwell in and never lose hope. His kingdom is not of this world. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be making use of earthly means, right? Of worldly means. No, they would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual kingdom. The civil government ensures that a measure of justice, righteousness, and peace prevails. Calvin, I think, called it the the civil sword. Uh, He calls it uh, that, that they bear, he called it civil righteousness. They bear the sword in order to maintain a civil righteousness. But Christ's kingdom doesn't bear that kind of sword. It bears a sword that cuts deeper than the sword of the earth. Sword of the earth can only lop off your arm and take off your head. But Christ's sword divides the spirit. It gets deeper. It can overcome. It overthrows in a greater way by going forward, not in fighting battles with our hands, but in declaring His grace with our lips. At every time that we gather together and we stand out from the world and we declare together that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection saves sinners, His kingdom advances. Oh no, it it will never be fully actualized here and now until He returns. Yes, His kingdom goes forward, but we see periods of decline. The kingdom doesn't march on a straight line. It's It's like the waves of the ocean coming in at high tide. In, and sometimes back, but always in further, and sometimes back. Christ's kingdom is not Like the kingdoms of this world, it never retreats in finality. It will never be overthrown. As a matter of fact, it was cut out of a mountain without hands. And it will fall to the earth and demolish and crush every other kingdom. Until it fills the earth. And the name of Christ covers the earth. And His glory covers the earth. As the water covers the sea. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. And so the kingdoms establish civil righteousness. But Christ establishes true righteousness, true justice, true peace through His Word and Spirit. The civil government can only coerce outward obedience. They can only keep people in line by saying, if you speed, you'll pay a fine. Not... If you love Jesus, you'll obey the law over you. There's a difference. They can only coerce outwardly. They can only say, if you murder, we're going to take your life. But they can't say, love Christ. 
Love Him because He died for you. And honor all men because they're made in His image. You see, there are two different realms. And so we have no hope in the government to advance the kingdom of Christ. They can protect and facilitate uh, the work by giving us freedom and keeping us free and allowing us to have freedom of speech and so on. But the church has a mission to go forward in a different way. And the question for you this morning as you look at the kingdoms that are set up before you is are you merely walking by sight? Is your hope really in a political party? Do you really think that God, well, it's nice to hope that He might change something by prayer? Or do you really believe that He can work and He will work by a greater means? Yes, write to your congressman. But then entrust what you've written to prayer. And let God do what He will do. And you might see, just as they saw in Revelation 8, the overthrow of kingdoms. And it wasn't by swords. It was by fire from heaven, poured out from the prayers of the saints. Christ submits to a lawful kingdom in order to advance the kingdom of His name. We as His people submit to lawful kingdoms insofar as they are in keeping with the word in order that we might live peaceably, quiet lives that we might be given opportunity to tell of the hope that is within us, to stand apart from this world that we might be a something greater. Not the, not the glorious expansion of the American ideal. No, the glorious expansion of true freedom, of true peace, of true glory, the citizenship and kingdom of heaven. And I know, as we look at this text, you go, why bring that out here and now? Why do that in the middle of Christ's crucifixion? Well, because Christ's crucifixion came about precisely because God operates in both the kingdoms of this world and for His own purposes to advance His kingdom. And we need to see that. And we need to move on in hope. Taking hope in Christ, not in men. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, we give You thanks for Your Word. We give You thanks for Your kingdom.